Now, I um, have a bit of help with the cleaning at home. Um, very important, very welcome. In fact, from the same lady for about the last 13 years. And she's going on an extended holiday now back to Poland this week for six weeks. And the centerpiece of that holiday that she's having is a family wedding. Now, in Polish culture, weddings are big and long affairs. Last time she went back for a wedding, some years ago, when her daughter married, she gave me a DVD box of the highlights. Now, I should have been a bit suspicious when I opened the box and found that the highlights ran into four separate discs. (laughs) And I can't say that I watched all of it, but I was left with some quite abiding impressions. The events seem to be laden with religiosity, folk custom, cultural meaning, and even the most insignificant developments in the process of getting married demanded a fresh toast of vodka all round. Dancing was wild, happiness very open and evident, and the reception was packed to the brim of men who didn't look as though they wore a suit at any other time. Now, at the beginning of the reception in a Polish wedding, there's a very touching moment where the parents of the bride and the groom bring them a large round loaf of bread and a container on top of it full of what I discovered is salt. Bread symbolizing provision. And the salt is a reminder of the need for persistence through tougher times in marriage. And after that has happened, the bride and groom are presented with two glasses. One contains water, the other, of course, vodka. They look the same. And the bride is first to choose one. If it turns out to be the vodka, then she is held to be the dominant character in the relationship And either way, it creates great hilarity and turns out to be just the excuse that's needed for another round of vodka (laughs) for the 100-plus guests who will then smash their glasses in celebration. And so it goes on for two days and four DVDs. I've still got it if anyone would like to borrow it. Now, the reason for this uh, excursion into marriage customs at the beginning of my talk, is to introduce to us the idea that marriage is loaded with symbolism in all cultures and that that symbolism is important. And we see that too in the Palestinian ceremony that's described in the reading that Debbie just brought us of Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, ten virgins or ten bridesmaids. We know that Jesus is going to tell a parable because he says the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is going to be like something, we know that he's about to tell a story comparing it to something else. And with this particular story, we know it's about his coming again. In other words, his return of Jesus at the end of time because he begins with the words, at that time, as the first three words. And he's already been describing the end of time, with a series of prophecies in the preceding chapter, historical references, and now the first of two parables, all about the end of time and what will happen. But let's return to the wedding. 
the parable uses a wedding scenario to paint a picture of what it's like to be ready for something to happen. And part of the wedding tradition in Palestine was that ten bridesmaids were allotted the task of waiting for the bridegroom so that they could escort him from his parents' house to to his bride's home where the ceremonies would take place and the reception would ensue. Now, this often occurred late at night in cooler weather, but the timing was elastic and unpredictable. You know, it wasn't like our weddings that start at 3 o'clock and if you're not there by 20 to 3, you're basically late. Not like that at all. They started when everything was ready and not at any set time. The lamps the bridesmaids carried for these purposes that they were given were kind of torches, domes with rags soaked in oil inside very brightly to help light the way in the dark hours of night. And in our story, some had wisely thought ahead to make sure that their oil didn't run out and others hadn't given it a second thought. And in the end, that makes all the difference. As a parable, it works rather simply. Jesus wants the disciples, and through their mass, to see the kingdom of heaven as something wonderful, like a wedding party, a happy, joyous occasion for the community. He wants us to see the kingdom of heaven that way. He wants us to see the bridegroom as himself. And he wants the bridesmaids to be see, to the disciples to see the bridesmaids as themselves following Jesus, half of whom are wise and ready and half of whom are foolish and unprepared. The arrival of the bridegroom is, of course, Jesus coming again, when he will be the one who admits or not folk to the great wedding party, i.e. the kingdom of heaven. Okay, with me so far. Kingdom of heaven, Jesus as the bridegroom, bridesmaids as the followers of Jesus, and the arrival of the bridegroom as Jesus coming again. And rather like, of course, any Palestinian wedding, the time that the bridegroom is ready to kick things off, in this case Jesus, at the end of time, isn't known. That will not be at a set time, merely, of course, when everything is in place. Now, I hope you'll forgive me for pointing out, as it may have escaped your notice, that there is one further little group of characters that are referred to in this story. They're off stage and not speaking. But Jesus refers to them as those who sell oil. Those who sell oil. And I wanted to highlight, because I was one of those for 32 years, 32 years, and it's not a very big role, but it is the only time it gets mentioned in the Bible. You see, Jesus isn't wanting to highlight that there's been a failure in oil marketing here or that there's been a failure in the oil supply chain. His point is a very different one. It's that we need to be ready. Be ready. Now, being ready for something is what all of us spend an awful lot of our time doing. Getting ready for our holidays. Perhaps a number of us are doing that at the moment. Luggage, tickets, hotel, renew passports, even vaccinations. Getting ready for a party. Nails, hair, makeup, dress. Getting ready for the Olympics, 
We discover that means very different things in different places over the last couple of weeks. But getting ready for the Olympics, that's important. Getting ready for a very important moment at work. I mean, when we're at work, we dread things like audits, environmental health assessments, or Ofsted inspections, where our readiness is severely tested by short-notice scrutiny. But most of the time, we're getting ready for an event that will take place at a set time, in a set place, with a largely predictable format. What Jesus is talking about is kind of the opposite of that. There's a contrast in the text between the idea, the idea that the bridegroom will be an awful long time in coming. They all become drowsy and fall asleep. And the midnight cry that suddenly rings out, here's the bridegroom. It seems from this that Jesus is saying we need to be ready for his arrival in a couple of ways. As something that will be a long time coming, but then happen very suddenly. So being ready is about having stamina for the long haul and being alert when it's needed. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea, to me at least, of being alert and having stamina to remain alert into the indefinite future absolutely terrifies me. I can be alert for short periods, but not much longer than that. So I draw comfort from elsewhere. In the, I draw comfort from the fact that Jesus is saying these words to the disciples. I mean, between them, they've got a long record of dropping, dropping off to sleep at inappropriate moments. Even being a bit flaky in faith when the crescendo arrives. And yet, Jesus, knowing all of that, still empowers them with the Holy Spirit in Acts, so that many of them become the bedrock of the Jesus movement. So our human weakness isn't necessarily the barrier to being ready here. It may be that our faith is. I mean, after all, Jesus has been a long time coming again, nearly 2,000 years. But you know, nothing is clearer from this passage than that if we believe in Jesus, if we really believe in Jesus, then de facto we really believe that he will come again. Why? Because he promised it so often. If you're in doubt, read chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, and you'll be reading lots of stories about his coming again, described and promised in loads of different ways. So if we believe in Jesus, then we believe he's coming again. So we must be ready. It'll be a long wait, and it'll be sudden. So what does being ready involve? Well, I think this parable tells us that being ready involves being wise. What do I mean by that? Well, it's kind of the thing that distinguishes the bridesmaids from each other. One group is wise, the other foolish. See, the wise ones take nothing for granted about when the bridegroom will appear. They would be ready if the bridegroom walked straight out, but they're ready for the long haul too. And they do what they can to be ready when that moment comes. And the thing that they can do is to have oil in reserve. If the disciples and by extension we are the bridesmaids of the parable, I think we need to see our relationship with Jesus 
in similar terms? Do we have oil in that relationship, personally, that's in reserve? Is our relationship with Jesus one though where the flame is just sort of flickering because our reserves over time have been diminished? Or is it one where we continually build up reserves because of our ongoing desire to be closer to him? Or is it one where we struggle to see ourselves in that kind of picture at all? Because maybe we haven't got a relationship yet, or we think it doesn't hold a candle, as it were. So we're going to explore that question of our relationship with Jesus. And we're going to do it in the context of a relationship that we all have with another person. Perhaps the person that's most important to us. A spouse, a best friend, a parent. Now, if, that, if we think of the closest relationship that we have in that regard, they're all relationships that we hope will last forever or as long as possible, where we'll experience the joy of giving and receiving love, Presence, care, where we'll be present for the other person, a support, strength, a source of sympathy, and have someone who's always on our side. Now, relationships like that, our best relationships, don't happen, I don't need to tell you perhaps, they don't happen by accident. They are kept going by we and others investing in them, if you like building up the stock of oil in the lamp. For example, if there's something troubling us in that relationship, we talk about it, if we value it. If we've been hurt by the other person, we try to put things right. If we've got something to celebrate, we do it together. If we need their forgiveness, we ask for it. If we face an important decision in life, then we make it together. If we want to share our appreciation of the other person, then we do so. These sorts of relationships are so important that none of us wants to get to the end of our lives and think, if only I'd said this, done that. Those sort of relationships aren't ones where we would ever take advantage of the other's nature We wouldn't mislead them because we know that they're a forgiving person, for example. Those type of relationships will never be perfect on earth. But they can always be handled with care because they are for the long haul. So being wise in our relationship with Jesus is taking care of that relationship because it's for the long haul. There are times in all of our relationships when we draw on the reserves of oil that we've built up. We need to draw on the reserves of goodwill to get through a difficult patch and hope that'll be enough. And there'll be other times when we can invest more and build up the reserves. Jesus wants us to be wise like that. He wants our our relationship with him to be good right now, but also to have reserves to see us through for only he knows when. Now this isn't easy necessarily. To to return to that Polish wedding blessing, there are times of bread where all is provided and times of salt when we have to tough it out. I'm regularly in both in my relationship of faith. 
If you're in a period of toughing it out now, then I urge you to persevere. Don't be phased and just draw on those reserves. Sure, but try to get into position where you're adding back quickly, even in a small way. But if you're in a period of provision, then praise God and give thanks. Use this time to build health into your relationship with Jesus for the times of salt. So, I believe this parable tells us to be ready. I believe it tells us to be wise in our relationships and our relationship with Jesus particularly. And I believe it tells us to be known by him. Because it's all about the long haul and being known. I think if we've invested in our relationship with Jesus over the years, we can expect to be known by him. Of course we can. And if we haven't, then we can't. And that's the message of the parable. Being known is crucial. The foolhardy bridesmaids turned away from the banquet and are turned away on the basis that I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Yet it's always, and this is the source of comfort for every one of us, I believe, it is always in God's nature and desire to know us and that God is known by us. Jesus, of course, is the way that we know him best, partly because of our shared humanity. But the God of the Old Testament, revealed in the Psalms, is one of intimate knowledge of us. That's why I'm so pleased we'll be preaching on some of the Psalms over this summer. Because the Psalms are all about the ups and downs of knowing God and knowing each other. But that type of intimacy can't just be one way. It's a commitment to know as well as to be known. We all like to turn up to a party where we're expected and receive a warm and hearty welcome. And that's what God offers us in his own unmissable party. And before I conclude with that, perhaps it may be that you've been listening to me this morning and it all sounds a bit much. It all sounds perhaps too far in the future to really matter now. Or it sounds too difficult giving attention to God and the things of God right now. that are too much on your plate. Or you're confident that God is forgiving and understanding regardless of what we do. I can't tell you whether all of those things are right for you. But can I offer you a few questions that all of us might just mull over? We might ask ourselves, as we go about our day, today or tomorrow... Do we imagine Jesus alongside us during our day? And if we did so, would that make us feel good or ashamed? Would that make us feel encouraged or crushed? If the time Jesus is talking about came today, for example, am I ready? And another question. I mean, none of us knows how long we'll live. Are there things in our relationship with him that we need to sort out? All of us want, I imagine, to be 
at the unmissable party that Jesus offers. Because the invitation that Jesus describes in this wedding banquet is meant to be an exciting one. I mean, it's like he's thought of the thing that's going to get his disciples most excited, that sounds like the best thing that they could ever go to. And it's a wedding banquet. A marathon wedding banquet. My Polish friend is ready for her marathon wedding banquet. She saved up for months for a gift. She has new clothes to wear. She's traveling all the way to Krakow to be there. And she anticipates the time of her life. She expects to cry with joy, have her heart warmed, see love play out, and make new friends, all from a two-day wedding banquet. How much more, then, does Jesus offer us in his unmissable party? Isn't that worth getting ready for? By being ready, by being wise, and being known, so that our arrival is not some unwelcome surprise, but the hope and the beginning of his ultimate joyous adventure for us.